Well, good morning again, and I hope, again, I hope you've had a Merry Christmas and a great uh, holiday season. Um, I'm always disappointed when Christmas is over because I just, I love Christmas so much, and I think sometime in the next week I'm supposed to stop listening to Christmas music, so I have to turn that off and go back to regular old music, but whatever. Uh, Still have some eggnog in the fridge, so that'll make me happy. Anybody, who else is an eggnog drinker? How many of you absolutely despise eggnog and think it's gross because it's pretty much just like liquid eggs in a carton? I think it's phenomenal. I don't know. I love eggnog. It's definitely a love-hate. I've never heard anybody that was like, meh, I'm like 50-50 on eggnog. It's like, nope, you either love it or you absolutely hate it. Well, have you ever had an experience where you were out in public and a complete stranger starts talking to you. Anybody ever had one of those happen to them? Yeah. We live in a pretty small town, so chances are pretty good you've had that happen to you. I know uh, for Jackie, she grew up in New Jersey, uh, and uh, I saved her, got her out of there. Um, next to Jesus, I'm the greatest salvation story of her life. Uh, but I know for her it was weird coming to like a small town, and I used to bring her back to the town I grew up in, and she would think it was weird just because we'd go into stores and people just talk to you like they knew you. And I don't know, have any of you ever had that experience where you're in a store or you're somewhere and someone starts talking to you and you have that moment of panic like, do I know this person? Am I supposed to know this person? Because they're talking to me like I'm their best friend. And I feel like I should know this person. Anybody else? Because like I have that happen to me all the time where I start chatting it up with somebody. I'm thinking like, man, they're, they're really free with their information right now. They must know me. And I don't know who they are. How many of you enjoy those moments when a, just a random stranger will strike up a conversation with you? Yeah, I do. I'll raise my hand. I like that. I enjoy having conversations. I'll talk to anybody, anywhere. How many of you absolutely hate it when people strike up a conversation with you and you don't know who they are in a store? It's the last Sunday of 2021. You can be honest, at least the last Sunday, some of you. Because I only saw like four hands for the I love it. So the rest of you are just in that middle ground? Or no, I, I, I would guess there are some people here who like, that's like your biggest fear is going out. Now, if you didn't notice, the younger generations, they've solved this problem. It's why they wear headphones everywhere. And let me let you on a little secret. 90% of the time, they're not even listening to anything. They just do that so no one will talk to them. I'm, I'm telling you, it's 100% serious. They do that. Um, because, I don't know, uh, people just aren't as friendly as they used to be, right? I, I, I grew up in a small town where you just, everybody talked to everybody, you know? People still, you know, everybody knew everybody's business. Uh, Dubois isn't that big, so it's, it's kind of a little bit true here. But it's just one of those things that happens in a small town. How many of you realize that every one of those conversations that happen is an opportunity to share the good news with somebody? See, that's one of the reasons I do love them. Uh, I'm not, if you know me, I'm not just the normal, like I'm not a great small talk person. Uh, It's just not who I am. But I recognize, hey, this is a cool opportunity. And you never know, and I've had some of those random encounters that turned into so much more than just a random encounter, just because, thankfully, the Holy Spirit, I, you know, He doesn't whisper. He doesn't get to whisper in my He has to, like, kick me in the back of the head to get my attention. Uh, but every now and then, He does that, and, you know, I've had a cool, uh, a few really cool uh, instances because of that. And I imagine some of you have had the same, where just a random conversation turned into so much more than just a random conversation. And if we're aware of it, if we're looking for it, man, the opportunities we could have if we were ready and, and, and aware of that. It's one of the things, you know, I joke about that younger generation where I'm like, man, you guys, you're missing out. You, some of these opportunities, you could miss those by having, you know, the headphones in or whatever, but uh, I know that's a generational thing, so I'll forgive them. Uh, I know I would probably would have done that if I was a kid. See, it's one of the plus sides to traveling for me. I, I like traveling. I, I, I've tried to figure out how to word this so you understand what I'm saying. I like traveling. I don't like to travel, if you understand what I'm saying. I hate being in a plane. I do not like sitting in one seat that was made for somebody not my size for like eight hours at a clip. I don't enjoy that at all, but I do love traveling. I love being places. And I personally, I love like thinking I'm going to get on this plane and I have no idea who I'm going to sit next to. And they're stuck with me. 
for the next however many hours we're on this plane, uh, and I, we both know I'm going to talk to them, so uh, we're going to chat it up. And just getting to know people, getting to hear their stories, getting to hear, you know, their life. And, um, and for me, it's, you know, practicing, like, learning how to ask the right questions and just all those cool things with people. But really, it's hearing, you know, all these different people's stories and, the, you know, the one uh, vacation Jackie and I were on. We met this uh, guy from Portugal, and like he shared his whole life story, and it was just like so heartbreaking because his wife had just passed away, and just like you, you never know the moments you'd have just by saying hi, how you doing, and continuing to ask uh, you know a follow up question or something like that. If you learn to listen, even strangers will share their bad news with you. If you didn't know that, if you just learn to listen, if you learn to ask the right questions. It's incredible how much people will share with you. Some of you are like, I know. I know they'll share more than I want to know. But that's such a cool thing. If we have a kingdom mindset, that doesn't become a a, a hassle to us anymore. Or Like, oh, I don't want to encourage this person to keep talking because they'll just keep sharing all their their bad news. In, In many cases, it's only then that we have the opportunity to share the good news is after we hear them, after we understand their bad news, like we've talked about this whole series. Our goal is to take good news to people's bad news. That's the mission that Jesus sent us out to do. Hopefully by now, if you've been following us through this series, you understand the importance of sharing the good news, of taking the good news, the gospel, that if you don't know, that's what the word gospel means. It means literally means good news. Taking the gospel of good news to those in bad news. And newsflash, if somebody doesn't know Jesus, they have a lot of bad news. They have the worst news that any human could possibly ever have. They don't know Jesus. Now, they don't know that, they don't appreciate that, and they certainly don't want the good news, or at least they don't know they do. Mark 16, 15 is pretty clear. And then he told them, this is Jesus telling the world, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Now, this was said to a group of people, but like much of Scripture, it applies to all of us, all Christians for all time. This is our job, is to go and take the good news and, and preach the good news to the whole world. That's our responsibility. So, how many of us would say that we are excelling in this area? How many of us can look back at 2021, and as we finish out 2021, as we spend some time with the Lord, we can say, Lord, this year, 2021, I exemplified this verse. You gave me a mission, and I fulfilled it. Now, I just want to pause for a moment here because if you don't know me, I have about 472 pet peeves. One of my biggest pet peeves, and I say that to all my pet peeves, one of my biggest pet peeves is when we ask a question like that, it's almost as if Christians, we've just gotten used to not raising our hands. Like when we ask, like, how many of you would say you're holy? How many of you would say that you could, you could quote like, uh, like, like Paul did and say, you follow me as I follow Christ? And We just get used to not raising our hands. Like it's, it's okay to be mediocre in our faith. It's okay to ignore the mission God gave each and every one of us. Like, it's okay to say, you know, you know what? I, didn't, I don't think I preached the good news to anybody this year, but, oh, you know, whatever, next year. Let me just, and I, I'm not saying this in a shameful or, or, or condemning way, but, man, it's not okay. If we're not accomplishing the mission Jesus gave us, it's, it's not okay. It's not okay to just say, oh, well, but 2022 is coming. It's a whole new year for us to do a whole new thing. See, that's the bad news. The bad news is that we should be able to raise our hands. There is no reason why any single Christian shouldn't be able to say, you know what, absolutely. I have exemplified that verse because it's literally Jesus is the reason I'm alive. And so I've made his mission my mission. I've adopted his personality. I've adopted his mission as my own. My life literally exists just for him. That's what being a Christian means. And if we're going to say we're a Christian, then that should bother us if we can't. And I know some of you didn't raise your hands, and you probably are doing it, and you just didn't raise your hands because you know not to raise your hands when I ask questions at this, at this point. Uh, but if you really legitimately couldn't raise your hand... It should bother us. 
that we can't because that is the mission Jesus gave us. And it should be why we live and why we breathe. Every morning we wake up, it's our mission. Basically, we are saying, most of this year I woke up, I went throughout my day, and I failed my mission that you gave me, Lord. And it doesn't even bother me that I failed my mission. It doesn't even affect me that I gave no importance to the one thing you told me to go and do, which is preach the good news to everybody. Now, that's the bad news, but I have good news. I believe by this time next year, most of us can raise our hand to that question. I really, genuinely, authentically believe that because I don't think it takes Bible college. I don't think you need to go to seminary to be good at this. The guys that Jesus was talking to when he said this, none of them went to seminary. None of them had Bible education training. None of them went to someone's special evangelism class. And yet it was still their mission. They woke up that next morning, and their mission was to preach the good news to everyone. Without training, without any explanation of what that might even look like or what it might cost them, for some of them it cost them their life. But it was still their mission. And I really, really do believe that for every single person here and any person watching, by this time next year you could raise your hand to that question. And as a matter of fact... It's going to be a big push of this church that we can do that by this time next year. It's going to be a number of trainings this coming year, uh, and I'm going to really encourage some of you to read a particular book that uh, uh, I think is is really good in this area. But we're going to grow in this area as a church because we shouldn't have to leave our hands down when a basic question like, are you fulfilling the one mission Jesus gave you when he left. My hope is that any church should be able to say, absolutely. We don't get a lot of stuff right. We're not perfect. We fail at a lot of things, but that thing, man, we go after that with everything we have. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be anything less. I told you the quote before, uh, uh, Spurgeon, I was trying to think of his name there. Spurgeon says, anybody who claims to be a Christian and not a missionary is a fraud. And I believe that to be 100% true because we're all given one mission which is basically to be a missionary. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go overseas. Uh, you have neighbors. There are people. It would, you could walk from this church, and you won't make it five minutes before you meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And I would guess you have neighbors, you have coworkers, you have family, you have people all over. There's people everywhere. Go to Martin's after church. You'll find a bunch of people who don't know Jesus, who need Him. The, the fact that we might not know somebody today is not an excuse to not be about this business. And I really do hope that by this time next year, and I'm, I'm already trying to plan it, like last sermon of, of 2022, I want to ask this question, and I want to be greatly encouraged as we raise our hands and say, you know what, this is an area that in 2022 became my mission, and I adopted this, and I can say I went after this because it's so important to Jesus And if we claim to be Christians, then it should be important to us too. Well, this morning I want to look at three areas which may be problem areas for us as we share the good news and three things, uh, and especially the last one, something we're going to work on tremendously in this next year to get better at this. Well, the first one I want to look at this morning is our pride. Now, how many of you uh, don't have any pride? Oh, man, I thought I was going to get somebody. No, not getting anybody. We all have pride. Every single one of us. That's, pride is the root of, of so many of the problems we have in our life. But I want to tell you a story about a woman. Uh, most of you probably know this story. If I just say the woman at the well, uh, most of you know who I'm talking about. See, there was this woman who, we don't know a lot about her life, but we know she, I don't think at any point, was at the high end of society. My guess, if I had to guess, would be she was popular when she was younger. She was very attractive, and so she attracted the guys, and that kind of became a problem for her because she got really into the attention that guys gave her. And when we pick up the story and Jesus meets her, he makes it very clear this, this woman has not lived in a, in a God-honoring way maybe ever in her life, but certainly she's got a habitual pattern of chasing after men and living with these men and being with these men. And now 
she's kind of been run through the ringer. And when Jesus meets her, she's at the well. And she's not at the well the time everybody else. Because if you don't know in, in their culture, uh, how, anybody here work in like a, uh, in an office environment? Yeah, so you know like the water cooler thing, you know, where people gather around the water cooler and that's where like the social place happens. Well, that was the well for the women of that time. They would gather at the well all the, you know, early in the day when it was still cool. They would gather and they would talk and they would share and they would laugh. And that was a huge social time was going to the well. But not this woman. She would go in the heat of the day. It was the most inconvenient time to go to the well because her hope was she didn't see anybody because she didn't want to feel the shame. She didn't want to feel the condemnation. She knew the way she was living was wrong. And instead of making a change, she went to the well at the most inconvenient time. Now, this is probably a daily thing. She went to this well every day in the heat of the day and suffered through that instead of just changing her ways. But That's how we pick up the story is Jesus is there. His disciples have gone into town now to to get food and to do some trading and things like that. And Jesus finds himself at the well with this woman who is full of shame, full of sin, still currently living in her sin, has nothing, nothing to offer Jesus. But how does Jesus approach the woman at the well? This is something I want us to uh, pay attention to this morning. Maybe not an aspect of this you've ever seen. As a culturally superior Jew, because Jesus was not a Samaritan, He was a full-blooded Jew. If you don't know, they looked down on the Samaritans. They were, they were considered like half-breeds. They, they, were, they were nothing compared to the, the Jewish people. So as a culturally superior Jew to the inferior Samaritan woman, how does Jesus approach her? Picking it up in John chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, it says, He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. Jesus, God in the flesh, the only perfect human to ever live, approaches this promiscuous woman currently living in her sin in humility, asking for something. That's how Jesus approaches the Samaritan woman. He postures himself in a place of need despite being superior in every way to this woman. There's literally no way he is not superior to her. And he approaches her and says, can you do something for me? He comes in a place of need. Have you ever, ever considered evangelism this way? See, so often, intentionally or unintentionally, when we engage in evangelism, even the humble of us will approach people as we have all the answers. We have what you need. You just don't realize that you dirty, rotten sinner. I have what you need. You want me to share this with you. You want Jesus, and I have him. And we come as a superior force. Now, most of you probably don't feel that, and you wouldn't think that way. But unintentionally or intentionally, we do that. We come as the person with the answers. And Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm thirsty. Can you get me a drink? And he asks her for something. He, he, that, that's a humiliating place or a humble place, not humiliating, but humble place to approach her from. Hey, can you give me a drink of water? So often we approach evangelism as the experts Most of us would say, well, I might not know everything, but I know more than they do because they're still in their sin. Now, again, we probably wouldn't say it that way. But I believe it's the reason that some of us don't feel comfortable in evangelism because we're at least humble enough to realize that we don't have all the answers, but we feel like we're supposed to be the expert, like we're we're supposed to have the information this person needs to receive Jesus. We have to have the answers to their questions because that's who we're supposed to come as. We're supposed to come as the expert. 
And they are the inferior person who needs us to give them the answers. But here's the thing. You don't have to be an expert. Matter of fact, you won't be an expert. I don't care who you talk to. You won't be an expert on Jesus. You're just one sinner telling another sinner where you found eternal life. We're just a blind man telling another blind man, hey, I think this guy knows the way. And If you follow him like I've been following him, it's going to everything gets better. It doesn't necessarily get better this side of heaven, but man, it's going to get better because this guy's offering eternal life. Everything else it's, might feel good, might, might, might get us somewhere, but it's not going to get us where, he'll go, where he's going. We're not any better. If we ever think we're better than somebody that we're sharing the gospel with, we've already failed because we aren't. There is literally nothing. We are not superior in any way to anybody that we share the gospel to except Jesus has called us his own. Everything that's of value we have is attributed to him. It's all his. It all comes from him. Literally, the only thing we have that's worth anything is in connection to him. It's all because of him. And we get that wrong because maybe we dress the right, right way on Sundays or because our church attendance is better than theirs or because we have our life cleaned up or we're no longer in addiction or we're no longer in bondage to certain things. We can get it in our heads that we're better that we have something to offer them. We don't. Jesus does, and He has sent us as His messengers, but we don't have anything to offer them. But we know the one who does, Jesus. Do you realize how often Jesus specifically sought out those who were considered low in the cultural standard? I mean, it was like his regular, if there's one thing that, that you can say like, man, there's one pattern I can see in Jesus' life because he seems to do things so differently all the time. It's like he always goes after the people who are considered low in cultural standards and how he constantly approaches those same people in a posture of humility, so different from the, the religious leaders of his time. You watch anything from that that's accurate from that time, you see how pious and how arrogant the religious leaders were in Jesus' time. They really thought they were better than everybody else, than, than the, 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 the scum of the Samaritan people or, or th- these people or that unclean person. I, I don't know if you took the opportunity. I, I highly recommend watching uh, The Chosen's The Shepherd clip. It's, I think it's like a 10 to 15 minute clip. It's, it's really, really good, and it focuses on the one shepherd, but man, it just irks me how the religious leader is like so arrogant against this poor shepherd guy who has nothing to offer and is basically worthless. And who does the angel show up to first? Who gets to hear first that Jesus is born? I mean, these lowly shepherds that they smelled bad, they couldn't, most of them probably couldn't read, they had no gifts to offer. And that's who the angel shows up to. So often God approaches those in lowly states, many times because they're just more receptive. When we've got everything going for us, we tend to have hard hearts and hard heads. We don't listen very well. Putting ourselves in a posture of humility goes a long way when seeking to share the good news of Christ with somebody. Man, it it speaks a lot to somebody when we come in a posture of humility. What does that look like? Well, if you want some good ideas, if you know somebody who you would love to see come to Jesus, ask them to teach you something. That's a posture of humility. Hey, I heard you're really good at a guitar. I, I always thought about picking that up. Maybe, you, would you teach me sometime? Man, that's an awesome posture of humility. Because when someone's teaching you something, their walls come down because you're not the expert anymore because you've humbled yourself, and now they're teaching you something, whatever that might look like. Ask for help with something. You know they're a little bit handy, like, hey, I got this problem at the house. I don't know if you'd be able to swing by and take a look at it with me. Now, you might not ever even get to that problem, but just by saying, hey, you know, I'm going to trust your expertise in this. Can you help me with something and asking them? Or here's a good one. Ask to join them in a space where they are comfortable and we are uncomfortable. Enter an uncomfortable place in order to not be in control, to not have the power. 
shift the power dynamic where they're in control, they have the power, and we don't. We're uncomfortable. And watch how it changes the way they respond to the conversations you want to have, to to having gospel conversations when you don't always have to be in control. See, that's one of my biggest problems when I tell people, stop inviting people to church because it changes the power dynamic. You're in control. You're inviting them to a place where they are uncomfortable and you are comfortable. You are the expert. You know everybody and they know nobody. Instead, flip that around. Do the opposite. Go where you don't know anybody. They're having a party. Hey, can I join? Invite yourself to their party. See what happens as you enter their spaces. And man, it will be. I'm not telling you, hey, because you have Jesus, you will be very comfortable. No, you're probably going to be really uncomfortable. But that's going to speak volumes to them, that you're willing to enter those spaces instead of just saying, hey, why don't you come to where I'm comfortable? Because, man, that's just a lot easier. It's much more convenient for me. My Sundays are usually very available on Sunday mornings at church, so why don't you come on over there? Man, it speaks so much more when we enter a place of humility. Learn how to compliment people. This is one of the things that I'm terrible at. And let me just say, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. Not good at this at all. As a matter of fact, if, you, if you're in our leadership team, you know this is part of what we do because I'm so terrible at it. But what, one of the things we do, if you don't know, our board of ministries, when we meet together, we, uh, we've generally taken uh, one person, and they get to sit in the hot seat, and we all say what we're thankful uh, for about who they are. We, we, we encourage them with things that we've noticed in their life or things like that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a leadership meeting, but it's very different uh, from a lot of the ones I've been in. Uh, it makes it a lot more difficult to try to like push for power in a, in a dynamic like that where you're constantly encouraging someone and, and building them up and you know those kind of things. So maybe the people, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a neighbor, it's a friend, learn how to, how to compliment them. When you see them, encourage them. Speak life into them. Learn to stop talking about how great we are and learn to talk about how great others are. Speak life into them. Instead of sharing a story about how you were the, the champion and, and you were the hero of a story, ask them questions. Encourage them. Say, hey, I saw you in the yard the other day, blah, blah, whatever. You know, don't make it up. But look for those things. Look for ways to encourage, to compliment, to, to share those kind of things. Don't allow your pride to rob you of another opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with somebody. When we enter these places in, in, in postures of humility, it changes so much. Look what happens because Jesus approached this culturally despicable woman at the well in a, in a place of humility. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Man, if Jesus can approach a woman in a habitual life of sin like that, in a place of humility. Who are we to constantly think we have to be the expert, to think we have to have all the answers, and that we could approach somebody thinking in, in any way, shape, or form that we are superior to them? One aspect of Jesus' encounter with a woman at the well brings up our next point. There's one thing that Jesus was really good at. It was disrupting the methods of bringing the good news to those in their bad news. He was really good at disrupting methods. Look at even how the disciples react to coming back from town and finding that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, uh, 427. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Even his disciples are like outraged, like why? Because this isn't appropriate. This isn't culturally appropriate for Jesus to be talking to a woman at a well. He should have walked away or she shouldn't have approached him in the first place, but you know, she wasn't living a, a life that she really cared anyhow. So it was, it was, then it would have been Jesus' responsibility to walk away from her, to say like, oh, I don't want to be near you. You're unclean. And Jesus sits and he talks with her. Even the disciples are kind of like, what in the world is this guy doing? He's shaking everything up. If you read the, the Gospels, 
the religious leaders are always mad at Jesus because he's shaking things up. Now, this isn't even the craziest method that Jesus uh, interrupts in that afternoon. Look in uh, verses 19 to 24 of John 4. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus was upending over a thousand years of the method to reach God. It had always been this setup. From the time that they built the tabernacle in the wilderness, it was the same setup. The temple was just a nicer version of that, but it was there was this Holy of Holies, this Ark of the Covenant, this place where God's presence came down, but once a year and met with only, and only the, the, the high priest could go in for a moment into that place. And Jesus is saying, man, I'm about to mess this whole thing up. Because now each and every one of you is going to be the holy of holies. And it won't just be once a year that the presence of God comes down, but it'll be every moment of every day. You will literally encapsulate the presence of the living God, and God will go everywhere. And you'll worship Him in spirit and truth, Jesus. They, they could not have fathomed how much Jesus was about to mess with their methods when He said something like this. We still don't even get it today. We still have people who feel like this room is where the presence of God dwells. And outside of this room, that God just can't interact with us the same way. Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, said, yeah, it's not going to matter where you worship Him. Everywhere you go, it's gonna, it should be a place of worship because we take the temple with us. We are the holy of holies. It didn't matter when they had the tabernacle. Once they moved it to another place, the place where they were was no longer holy. That physical location was no longer holy because the holy of holies had moved. The presence of God moved with them. And so now that's who we are. That doesn't mean you, you, you shouldn't have a value to this place, the sanctuary of the church. That doesn't mean that there's no value here. But when we elevate it and say, well, that's where the presence of God was, we, we miss out. Because in your living room, the presence of God can come in a powerful way. In your garage, the the presence of God can come in a powerful way. In the middle of the woods, on a bench you're sitting on or a log you're sitting on, the presence of God can come in a powerful way. It's one of the reasons the religious leaders of Jesus' time hated Him so much is that He was constantly messing with their methods. And it's one of the main reasons of church division today is over methods. Churches split all the time over methods. We still haven't got it. We like our methods. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with finding a way that that, that works and sticking with it. I'm a method person. My wife will tell you, uh, my life is, is full of methods. I love to figure out the most efficient way to do something, the absolute most efficient way. I love that. But if we're not careful, we can marry the method to the message. And we can get to a place where separating the two isn't possible in our minds without compromise. It's, it's why people, you'll hear people say, well, if you move that pulpit off of the stage, we're compromising the gospel. What? Where did you get that? Or if the, the person preaching isn't wearing this, well, then we're in sin. I don't know, i got to read my Bible again. I, I missed that part because we married the method to the message. And so when the method begins to change, we think, they're changing the message. No, they're not. The message stays the same. Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's Him. It's all about Him. But our methods need to change. Many of the people that we think have rejected the gospel have really just rejected our method. 
because we thought the method was they come to church, pastor preaches, does an altar call, and they get saved. And because they said no to come in the church, well, they rejected Jesus. No, they just rejected our method. They never got to hear the good news because our method got in the way. People need the same good news we received, but not the same method we received the good news by. I heard that so many times. Well, it worked for me. Good for you. Change the method. If it was, it was good enough for me, sure, that's fine. But that's not the message. The message was good enough for you, and it's good enough for everybody in this world. But the methods need to change. We live in a different culture than many of you grew up in. For, for many of you, you grew up in a culture that still had a biblical worldview. Many, many of you did. And I promise you, if you're under 40 years old, you did not grow up in a culture that had a biblical worldview. Anybody that's that age or younger, you just didn't grow up in a place that had a biblical worldview, especially if you went to public college or public school. You didn't grow up with any type of biblical worldview. Now, if you go to church and you have good church community, you develop a biblical worldview, but it doesn't naturally happen. You grew up in the 30s, 40s, or 50s. The culture was similar in that in the world and that in the church. Certain things were just taboo. Certain things you just didn't do, whether you went to church or you didn't, whether you knew Jesus or you didn't. Now, our culture is almost anti-church, anti-Christian. To do the things that Jesus calls us to do is to be a bigot, to be this horrible person. We live in a different time, so our methods need to change. If I had the answer and could tell you how to be a better spouse, a better parent, a better Christian, a better coworker, and a better friend, would you want to know what it was? If I told you right now, I have the answer. I know exactly what it is. And I really do have the answer. And for six easy payments. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I give you the answer for free. Learn how to listen. Now, I, I do pre-marriage counseling. And I know I'm a guy. So I look at every guy in pre-marriage counseling and I think, I know you're hearing me say this, but I know you're not hearing me say this. Learn how to listen. And it goes true for wives too. Learn how to to listen. Now, guys, we tend to have more of a problem with this than anybody else on the earth. Uh, but in any relationship, in any avenue of our life, learn how to listen is the answer. It's an extremely rare gem to find somebody who is truly gifted at listening. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying who's good at listening, but who's truly gifted at listening. Some of you are good at listening. Most people, like myself, are not great listeners. But the Bible actually has a lot to say about listening. James 1.19, for instance, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must, be, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Some of us are okay at this. If you're wondering how good you are at this, how would you actually respond now? I don't want your church answers. How would you actually respond if you were in a conversation with someone and they said, the Steelers are the worst team in the NFL? Now, some of you don't care at all. I, I don't care. I would be like, cool, okay. Who do you worship? I mean, who, what team do you like? How about if you're in a conversation and someone says, everyone who votes Republican or, Demo- or Democrat, whichever one you're not, or you are, is a bigot? Well, some of you aren't going to respond so, so well to that. Or... I think people who do or I think people who don't get the vaccine are crazy. Now, I'm just going off of conversations I had this week with people. So, how good are you at listening? Because my guess is, depending on where you fell on each one of those issues, your first response isn't, hmm, tell me more. I want to know more about your opinion there, your, your point of view in that Most of us will immediately respond with our point of view, our opinion. However, Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Now, I'm not saying anything. I'm not calling you any names. 
because I don't want to call myself a name, but how often do we speak our own opinion first? How many times have we sought to hear the other person out? Even if their opinion was offensive, completely against us, completely against what we would consider common sense, have we sought to understand? Instead of, well, here's my opinion. Here's the research I've done. Here's all the information I have. Proverbs 18, 13. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Well, I don't have anything to say about that. These are tough verses for us in our time because our culture, social media, the internet has really stoked this flame of share your opinion or maybe we'll call it your truth now because apparently you can, everybody can have their own truth. I don't know how that goes anymore. There's only one truth. But we're so quick to share our own opinion, so quick to share what we think is the answer, what we think, and what, where we've come to and, and the places we've arrived instead of learning how to ask really good questions. You may know some facts about one or all of those topics. Now, those were just a couple of instances. You may know some of the facts about some of those things. But you don't know how the person who said those things is feeling or why they would say those things in the first place. Why would they try to antagonize you? And even if you did, even if you're like, no, I know exactly why they would say that. I know exactly what they were thinking and feeling. Isn't the gospel more important than your pride? I would hope so. You may think you know what and why, but let me refer you back to James 1.19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I just want to say, I was really excited to preach this message after I spent the holidays with my in-laws. Uh, now I actually have to do this. And I say that jokingly, but I also kind of mean it. It's a really good reminder for me as I go to spend you know, time with family. Hey, remember, listen. Don't share your own opinion first. Hear people out. But for all of us, in all of our relationships, in all of our engagements, whether that's coworkers, whether that's whoever, and if we could just learn to listen. It's one of the things, in my opinion, one of the things that we have failed the younger generations in so much is our terrible ability to listen. We told them, no, you, this is what you should do. This is what you should value. This is the way you should think. Instead of saying, hey, help me understand. Why, why do you think that way? Why do you feel that way? Why? Help me understand where, how you got there. We're so bad at that. If we can be honest, as a, as a whole, as a collective, I'm not saying like you, terrible, rotten sinner. I'm saying we as the church, we're not very good at that. I, I've talked to many people uh, younger people who say like they left church because they pursued a career that had anything to do with like learning or science and their church kind of like turned on them because they all of a sudden they said well I'm not a I'm, I'm not a six-day creationist and they're like oh you're a horrible rotten sinner because they started to look at some facts and said I'm not seeing how this lines up and instead of asking questions and saying well what do you see that's that's not consistent help me understand well, you know wh- where's the where's the problem coming oh well have you considered this have you considered that no we don't learn that. We just learn how to say our opinion more forcefully and say it more arrogantly and and push harder with no actual information. We just have failed in learning how to ask really good questions because learning to listen isn't just about refraining from talking. Any any of you who are married who've learned this truth that uh, learning to listen isn't just about being quiet, it's about learning how to ask the right questions learning how to pull out the deeper things in somebody. When, when my wife is struggling with something, it, can, it is good for me to close my mouth because I really like to talk and give advice, uh, for me to just shut up and listen. But man, going the extra step and, and asking questions. Uh, there's one of, these, one of the things I teach in marriage uh, counseling is active listening. If you've never heard that term, Google it before you get home and begin to deploy that in your marriage. It'll help you a lot. 
active listening, learning how to rephrase what somebody says uh, and ask them, is this what I'm hearing you say? By rephrasing it. And it really helps them to say, wow, okay, you've actually processed this. You're actually understanding what I'm saying. Active listening is really good, but learning how to ask deeper questions. If you're standing in the, in the grocery store and someone begins to complain about their life, instead of, oh, yeah, man, whoo, this weather, I hate this weather. Oh, man, yeah, the Steelers are terrible. Instead, learning how to say, like, so what is it about, like, this cold rain that you, that you hate so much? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. listen to them talk. Try this. This is, uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I don't care. Your homework this week is to try to ask really good questions. When you're out in public or when you, you engage with somebody, whether it's public or somebody you actually know, if, if you begin to hear bad news, if you begin to hear them share something negative or, or a problem they're having, instead of, now, this is something I'm really guilty of, I, I will, many times, I will try to share a story to have a shared experience. Like, oh, I really hate this weather. Like, oh, yeah, I don't really like cold rain either. I, I want to share the experience with them. And so I share a story about myself. Or when they share, like, oh, I had this terrible thing happen to me this week. Oh, well, I had this terrible thing happen to me too. I'm not trying to one-up them necessarily most of the time. But a lot of times I'm just trying to have a shared experience to say, like, hey, I get it. I get how you feel. And that can be a good thing. But here's your homework is instead of that or whatever other, or if like you just try to act like you didn't hear them or something or like you're on your Bluetooth, like, oh, what was that? Uh, instead of that, try to ask a good question and watch how people will open up to you. And I hope in that moment you realize, look how many opportunities I missed for the gospel because I just didn't ask a question. Because so often, if you just ask that one question, that opens up. And then you ask another question. It opens up even more. And the, the amount of influence you can have in someone's life, the relationships you can develop just by asking good questions. And I just want to let you know, that's one of the things we're going to really dig into in the next year is we're going to literally have some trainings on how to ask the right questions, especially in a, in a gospel environment, how to ask good questions to people as you're engaging with them and ask questions that lead to good gospel conversations. That's one of the things we're definitely going to be doing. But it helps to draw out the things in people's hearts. And Proverbs 25, verse 5 says, Though good advice lies deep within the heart, a person with understanding will draw it out. A person with understanding learns how to draw these things out from people. Learning how to ask just the right question is a skill that very few people in my experience have, knowing just how to ask that right question. When we talk about evangelism, I often hear, well, I don't know what to say. Great, you're supposed to listen. Don't worry about knowing what to say. Learn how to ask the right questions. That is the greatest evangelism technique ever, is learning how to ask the right questions to people. Our talking is what gets in the way much of the time. If we could engage those around us in a posture of humility, accept that our methods must change, must be pliable, while the message never changes. If we learn how to listen, not just by hearing, but by asking questions that seek to understand people and where they're at and their bad news we would find it so much easier to fulfill the great commission that God has given each and every one of us. If we could commit this year to excelling in this area, if we could say, you know what, this year I'm going to make this a priority in my life. I want my conversations when I'm with family, when I'm with people who don't know Jesus, I want to feel comfortable. I want to be excited when someone begins to talk to me in the grocery store about what could happen in this conversation, because some of you, I, I know you're not there. You, you would get nervous, and, and you wouldn't like that, and I'm not asking anybody to be an extrovert. Uh, I'm, I'm not, well, I don't want to change anybody. But when an opportunity arises for a gospel conversation, I want us to learn to be excited. I want us to be comfortable enough to be excited to say, oh, this, is, this is it. I get to have this cool conversation now and, and, and to be excited for those because it can change eternity. A simple conversation that you weren't even prepared for, that you didn't have to study for, that you didn't have to have a notebook and, a, and, and the Romans road ready to go for, 
can change eternity because you asked the right questions and you allowed God to work through you because you didn't have to be an expert. You didn't have to be superior. You didn't have to have all the answers. You were just there. And just like Samuel said, here I am. I'm here. Use me. Who in your life is dealing with some bad news? Who has bad news in your life? Take the good news to them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that when I shared my bad news to that kid when I was only 14 years old, he shared the good news of Jesus with me. And man, he didn't have all the answers, but you did. He didn't have anything to offer me, but you did. And the best thing he did was present you to me. And it changed my world. It changed my eternity. And God, I pray this coming year that every single person that calls this place home would make this a mission, that they would accept your mission for their life. And Lord, I pray that you would grow each and every one of us in our, in our ability to have conversations around the gospel, that you would raise our awareness, that you would uh, give us the discernment to learn how to ask the right questions, to, to care enough about eternity to ask the next, next question, to engage with people where they are, to not tell them all the information we know about you, but to hear where they are in their story and to see how the good news applies to their bad news. Lord, I thank you that in this season we get to celebrate that you came down to this earth, that in such a humble way you were born amidst a bunch of animals in a feeding trough you were laid, that we worship the one true God who came in that way and that we get to serve you for the rest of our lives, that we get to, in a posture of humility, approach others and let them know I know the one who can change it all because he did it for me. He can fix any broken thing because he fixed me. Lord, I pray you would come alive in our hearts this year. I pray we would finish 2021 out in service to you. This week, Lord, I pray we would engage these conversations and ask the right questions. Use us today, tomorrow, next year, the rest of our lives until you come to be about your business. Thank you for all you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week and a happy new year. And I hope you have a great time celebrating the new year. And uh, we'll see you next year. I love that joke every year. It just, it never gets old. See you next year.